Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk markets with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. We're going to take a look at the uh, very challenging weather conditions in the state of Montana. We've been talking a lot about the, the Western Plains, the Western part of the country dealing with heat and drought, and in some places, grasshoppers now. The state of Montana, one of those states hard hit. We're going to talk with their state statistician coming up on today's program. And we're going to talk with a Michigan State plant pathologist about the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. All that coming up on today's show. But we're happy to start things off today with a special guest. We have with us Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Mike, happy to be with you. Uh, Lots to talk about. First of all, your perspective and maybe an update on where we are with this infrastructure package. We've heard about it for weeks, different packages. We've heard about uh, you know, traditional infrastructure and, and human infrastructure and, and companion bills and things like that. Is it a bipartisan attempt? What's the latest that you're seeing and what do you see as the significance here for agriculture? Well, listen, Mike, I think this is uh, the next two weeks may be some of the most important uh, a most important two-week period for American agriculture in some time, uh, and certainly for rural America. Um, at stake is the ability of uh, the U.S. Senate to work in a bipartisan way to establish a uh, commitment to infrastructure that's been long talked about but uh, never delivered. Um, what they are considering is an historic investment in roads and bridges in our transportation system that would allow us to maintain the advantage we have in export markets of being able to get product to market more or less expensively so we can competitively price and make our exports uh, attractive to the rest of the world. We're headed to a record export year in agriculture this year. We want to obviously build on that opportunity. A chance, finally, uh, to connect everyone in rural America to broadband, uh, to be able to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to use that 21st century infrastructure, and, and for millions of Americans, the guarantee of clean drinking water. Uh, which unfortunately in many rural communities uh, still is a, a challenge. So very, very large opportunities here uh, to really create jobs and to improve the infrastructure. Uh, parties are continuing to negotiate. Uh, these are not easy issues, uh, certainly when it comes down to how you pay for these uh, these improvements, uh, uh, tough issues, but hopefully uh, they will get get this worked out. There will be, a, I, su- I suspect, a second bill. Uh, it may not be a bipartisan bill. It may have to be passed on a partisan vote. But that bill is really designed to uh, address uh, the challenges of American families, uh, working families and middle-class families, having a tough time with affording health care, child care, uh, the college uh, expense, and this American Families Plan, Build Back Better offered by the president, is designed to really shore up middle-class and working families and providing additional assistance through the form of tax credits, um, tuition at community colleges, increased Pell Grants, expansion of the Affordable Care Act uh, subsidies for rural Americans, uh, opportunities to uh, create uh, a, a, a tax credit that uh, families are now receiving uh, that will make it a little bit easier for them to take care of their uh, their children. Uh, all of this is sort of wrapped up in an effort to try to move the economy forward after uh, the difficulties we've experienced with the pandemic and still to this day uh, continue to uh, deal with the pandemic. Uh, and, and really helping to really solidify the middle class because at the end of the day that's that's critically important to the future of the country. We're talking with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. You're getting a little bit of a warble in your phone line uh, Mr. Secretary so hopefully that will clear up. Uh, Real quick what are you hearing from agriculture? Uh, How do you respond about their concerns to possible tax changes whether it's stepped up basis or or corporation taxes whatever it may be capital gains taxes uh, to pay for some of this? Well, the reality, Mike, is that uh, no one making less than $400,000 is going to see their taxes increased. In fact, many families will see their taxes decrease because of the uh, child care tax credit, the child uh, the child tax credit, uh, two different tax credits that provide opportunities for working families, including farm families. Uh, and the reality is on the step-up basis, the way it's structured currently, 
uh, 90, uh, almost 99% of, of family farms will be impacted and affected by that change. Uh, so I, I, I think there's a deep concern uh, to make sure that we maintain the family farm, uh, notwithstanding uh, the, the need for all of this infrastructure and to pay for it. And I'm confident that at the end of the day, that will be the case. Uh, but farmers will benefit from better transportation systems. They will benefit from having access to broadband. They certainly will benefit from having clean drinking water. Um, uh, and I think their families will, will certainly be strengthened by the ability to access education uh, less expensively, uh, perhaps get a break on, on uh, health care expense uh, and get those tax credits that will, uh, will actually reduce their tax burden. You have been very involved with uh, the, the meatpacking issue, uh, trying to increase capacity. Uh, you, you announced funding for a, for a small plant and getting more diversity within the industry. How soon do you think we can see results from this? Well, the first thing is to basically listen and learn. Uh, we've already begun the process of reaching out to those who are considering uh, producing and, and constructing plants in Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa to find out what challenges they face. We know that there is a need for capital. We know there is a need for the development of a lender community that understands uh, this, this, this industry uh, and is willing to work with producer-owned groups. Uh, to build out uh, production capacity. We know that there are challenges with equipment costs, uh, but we're going to put a request for information out uh, this week uh, in which we're soliciting information on how best to structure this uh, this program and this effort. Uh, but our hope is uh, that as we learn more at the tail end of uh, 2021 and into 2022, we can begin to make uh, some assistance and some help. We've already uh, put together $55 million of assistance for existing processing facilities. Uh, to be able to expand their operation, to be able to potentially benefit from uh, marketing across state lines. We also have $100 million to defray the expense of, of inspection fees that uh, these facilities have incurred as a result of the pandemic, making it a little bit easier for the small and very small processing uh, facilities to stay in business. We're going to have to make this system more resilient, Mike. And at the end of the day, we're going to have to make investments in, in expanded processing. And my hope is that those investments are for producer-owned processing facilities so that producers can benefit not only from production but also processing. Real quick, ag labor reform, you've weighed in on this. Do you think we're going to be able to get something through to help uh, ease the ag labor shortage in this country? Well, I think there's a reconciliation bill. It is very uh, possible uh, that uh, that that may be included uh, depending upon whether or not it's it, uh, satisfies the Senate parliamentarian in terms of the procedures. Uh, but my hope is at the end of the day, however we do it, uh, it's pretty clear agriculture needs it, wants it, and supports it. Uh, and uh, there may be a tweak here or there, but I think the bill that passed with a strong bipartisan vote in the House is one the Senate should very seriously take into consideration uh, and hopefully finally put that issue uh, behind us and begin to take a step forward in fixing a broken immigration system that today causes a great deal of uh, instability uh, out in out in the countryside, especially in, in dairy operations. Uh, people are just deeply concerned about this. Mr. Secretary, we appreciate your time. Good to talk with you again. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Mike. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. Again, we apologize. It wasn't the uh, the clearest of lines, but I hope you were able to uh, uh, hear and understand what uh, the Secretary was saying on some of the key issues of the day. Up next, we look at some pretty tough weather conditions in the state of Montana. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The Nashville Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of the next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, just kind of a follow-up to what we just heard from Secretary Vilsack. Um, Obviously, on the ag labor issue, um, he's weighed in on that and is pushing to get the the legislation passed to help address the ag labor uh, shortage in this country. Uh, There are those who oppose that bill, saying it's uh, really amnesty. Uh, for a lot of um, immigrants, and that's opposed by a lot of people, but uh, the ag community pointing to the need to reform the H-2A visa program because the lack of labor we have in this country, especially uh, year-round labor for agriculture, so that remains a huge issue, as does the infrastructure bill. You notice that Secretary Vilsack continues to say that no one uh, making under $400,000 would be taxed to pay for that. Now, a lot of people are pointing out that there are different ways you can be taxed. You might not be taxed directly, but indirectly you could be if other things are raised. And um, he, he points out or continues to stress, as you heard, that uh, as far as farmers and ranchers are concerned, the benefits uh, would be outweigh maybe some of those other things because of the uh, uh, improvements in roads, bridges, broadband, things like that. So it continues to be a debate, and we continue to wait to see if uh, infrastructure package gets passed, and if so, what's in it. All right, right now we continue our look at the different parts of the country and the weather conditions they are facing. Uh, one of the states being very hard hit by heat, drought, and grasshoppers in some cases. We're hearing more about grasshoppers. Uh, the state of Montana and joining us now is Montana State Statistician Eric Summer. Eric, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm sure it varies across your state and your your state of Montana is a very wide state. It covers a lot, of, a lot of miles, a lot of geography. But can you kind of give us an overview of what folks are dealing with there in your state of Montana? Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's pretty... It's, uh, you know, for the first time in 
since I can remember, 10 years. Anyway, the whole state is in a drought situation. And, uh, you know, normally we're big enough that uh, you may have two or three different, uh, you know, weather climate areas. But when you look at the drought uh, map this year, everything's in drought or close to being in drought. Um, you know, of course, we have various different stages going on across the state. And in hand with that, we're just getting um, massacred by grasshoppers right now. So it's, you know, kind of tail um, to cities here. We're, we're getting it both ways. <laughs> if, if Have you been able to? Lucky enough to escape the drought, you're getting hit by grasshoppers. And yeah, if it, sometimes you're getting hit so, by both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that some if it's not one thing, it's another, and in some cases it may be both. So, have you been able to? Have you started putting any assessment on the economic damage so far? Um, we haven't, but you know, we did our um, we started doing our our monthly ag yield surveys, and you know, it's not looking good compared to a year ago. I mean, we're down across the board on uh, yields and production, so. Um, you know, it's kind of scary if you look at uh, where we started with, you know, like with hay, for example, you know, where it had okay hay stocks, you know, pretty normal for the last 20 years. Um, but, we, you know, we didn't get on the summer ranges as quick as we normally do. Summer ranges weren't there in some cases. Um, and so producers were feeding longer than they had to normally do in the spring, uh, you know, Summer ranges, like like I said, have just been, you know, decimated by the heat, and they didn't get the moisture this spring. So, um, you know, like my neighbor, for example, has kept his his livestock on his um, fall pastures a lot longer than he normally would, and uh, you know, just because he didn't have a place to move them. And have so, you heard you know, of uh, liquid? Is liquidation going on? Have people had to cut back on their I, herds I, I just because that, of the conditions? I think right now there there are some strategic uh, uh, culling going on. Uh, you know, producers are, are moving them to different pastures than they normally would. So I, I do think that there is some liquidation going on. I don't know how widespread it is at, at this time. Um, you know, with water getting shut off and second heading um, just being pretty pretty well, you know, hit with either we didn't have enough water to get it to, to come back or, you know, just it's short, shorter than normal, um, you know, so it, it's, there's a lot of concerns going on right now. And, uh, you know, the next month or two, it's going to, it's going to be uh, determining on how much liquidation goes on in the state. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Eric Summer, Montana's state statistician. Eric, what kind of temperatures have you had? Have you, have you been getting the triple digits? Well, in, yes, Montana has been in the triple digits. We've been in the in the 90s, high 90s, um, all across the state. It's it's actually kind of crazy on how how long the streak has been going. Um, you know, it, it just you look at the forecast and all you see is 90s or 100s, and you know, even in the high country, it's hot. So it's uh, it's. It's kind of depressing when you look at it that way, with no moisture or uh, storm systems on on the horizon. That kind of seems bleak. Yeah, when you don't see any uh, relief coming, that that makes it even harder to deal with. How does this? When you look at the, you know, the kind of numbers that you're looking at uh, historically, where does it stand for the state of Montana? Um, you know, that's a good question. You know, it, it, it's still too early to see what, what we're going to, where we're going to end up in the end. Um, but it, it's still, it, it's not a very good picture right now. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound very good at all. And obviously even when things do turn around, it, it'll take a while to, uh, to recover from something like this. So crops, Livestock, I mean, it, it's got to be affecting everybody in a lot of different ways uh, in your state. It is. And, and, you know, the further we get, you know, the closer we get to August and 
in September, you know, the, the moisture really isn't going to help this year's crop. It's going to go for building, you know, the fall and next year's crop. And, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it, precipitation at this point is going to be welcome, but it's going to be only welcome to a point because it will, you know, depending on how much we get and when we get it could be a detriment to this year's crop even more than what we have got. Um, so, if, you know, <laughs> it's one of those darn if you do, darn if you don't situations at this point for this year. Right. Can you describe the the grasshopper damage? You know, from what I'm hearing from producers, you know, they have knocked down first cutting, and and the grasshoppers have come in and eaten eating the grass as it's on the ground. Um, you know, the second cutting starting to come up. They're eating it as, as uh, you know, it's coming up. And then, you know, of course, then they're into the other crops. And um, I heard a couple different barley producers say that they're they're hoping to get a quarter of what they normally harvest. So it's, uh, it's pretty bad. You know, it's, uh, you know, it, at this point, it's hard to put a economic damage um, and, and be able to separate the grasshopper from the drought. But it, it, you know, they're certainly there. They're certainly making an impact, and it's certainly a concern on what we're going to do. Yeah, it, uh, it's hard to find a silver lining in all this, right? It's hard to find a, a positive. And and your forecast, as you said, indicate this is going to go on for a while. Yeah, uh, you know, I was looking at my forecast where i live here and it shows 90s through august 10th at this point so that that's pretty uh scary since we've already been through you know 20 30 days of straight 90 degree weather so um it's uh <laughs> for you know it, it, it's starting to starting to feel like a broken record here yeah i'm sure it does and uh our our thoughts and prayers for you and your folks there in the state of Montana and all those dealing with these uh, challenging weather conditions. And we appreciate the update uh, on your situation in Montana, Eric. Thanks for being with us. And hopefully next time we talk, we'll, be have, we'll have better news. Yep. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Take care. Eric. are doing all the hard work. You bet. Eric Summer, Montana State Statistician, describing some pretty tough conditions for that state of Montana throughout the state. That's a big state. Uh, but as you heard him say, they've dealt with day after day now, weeks of uh, uh, this very hot, extremely hot, dry weather, and now the infestation of grasshoppers and a lot of damage being done there. So hard to find water, hard to find feed, and uh, your crop prospects not good either so a very tough situation for that state of montana all right up next weather concerns all over the place uh, for the west better situation in the east how do markets take all this in we'll talk with naomi bloom with total farm marketing next on aoa hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away more adams on agriculture coming right up Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best farmers. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. The soy complex leads grain futures and livestock are trading mixed. You are listening to AOA. This is Jessica Benson with your market update. Soybeans and Minneapolis wheat futures are soaring on the sharp decline in crop ratings and a troublesome forecast ahead. With just 9% of spring wheat in good to excellent condition and a huge 66% rated poor to very poor, we have another few days of extreme heat and dryness to further lower crop potential. 
while long-term forecasts are leaning drier into August. And jumping into Tuesday's livestock trade, the cattle contracts are hopeful to maintain some sort of positive front and have their eyes set on seeing cash cattle trade higher this week. Bids and asking prices have yet to hit the countryside, but by midday we should know more. Trade isn't expected to really develop until Wednesday or later. The lean hog contracts weren't able to summon any support, but as the market closed yesterday and fundamental backing shined through, the nearby contracts closed higher. As for numbers on the Chicago Board of Trade, September corn is up three and a half at 553 and a quarter. December's up four and a quarter at 551. September soybeans are up 13 at 1375 and a half. November's up 13 and three quarters at 1371 and a half. September bean meal is up 410 at 356.90 a ton. September bean oil is up 40 cents at 65.21. September Chicago wheat is up one and three quarters at 678 and three quarters. September KC wheat is up four and a quarter at 643 and a quarter. And Minneapolis spring for September is up eight at 886 and three quarters. August live cattle are up 50 cents at 123.95. October's up 67 cents at 129.87. August feeders are down 5 cents at 162.15, with September up 30 cents at 165.12. And lean hogs for August are up 45 cents at 107.85. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Jessica Benson reporting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thanks for joining us, and we're definitely in a weather market. Crop condition ratings come out, they're lower, and markets go up. Absolutely, that's exactly what we've been seeing. You know, yesterday uh, we started the day lower just because of the potential for rain coming in the forecast, but by the end of the day, you know, the prices turned around and went higher it was a really nice uh, technical move because we had tested support, the 100-day moving averages for corn and soybeans. And then you hit the nail on the head when that crop progress rating came out yesterday afternoon. Trade was not expecting there to be any changes at all to that good to excellent category. So when the soybeans dropped 2% and when the corn dropped 1%, that was like more of a wake-up market. We've been telling you this crop isn't perfect out in the northern plains. And so we've got some weather premium back in with corn being up three, four cents and beans up 13. You bet. So does that then bring into question into traders' minds maybe a little bit uh, whether or not the good areas can overcome the bad areas this year? Well, I think if you look at the breakdown, that's exactly what is happening. Um, especially for the soybeans. The Minnesota crop was down 7% in that good to excellent category. North and South Dakota each lost three points. And when you stop and look at your top 10 states in terms of planted acres for soybeans, Illinois number one, Iowa number two, Minnesota is number three, and North Dakota is number four. So they matter immensely, especially when most of the beans from North Dakota and parts of western Minnesota are the beans that get railed out to the Pacific Northwest to go to China. So we are very much concerned, of course, where this yield ends up because 
On the last USDA report, the USDA said that yield was going to be 50.8, which would be, uh, you know, pretty much record amount. And when you do the math, we can't have yield nationwide drop below 50 bushels. So the USDA has it at 50.8, and it can't be less than 50, or the ending stocks go down lower than 100 million bushels. I mean, it's that critical. So weather matters. We're going to continue to be in a weather market. And then, of course, the next USDA report on August 12th, it'll be very interesting to see how the USDA adjusts yield. Because usually that August report is the first one that they address the yield officially. Mm -hmm. Then we have the situation where you have more acres, but a lot of those increase in acres are in areas that are hardest hit by the drought and may not be producing much. Yeah, and that's another great point. You know, some of those... um, you know, fringe acres or, or states that maybe in years past haven't had a lot of weather issues, but right, they are smack dab in the middle of the heart of the drought and just not seeing any relief in sight. And then, of course, we see images on social media of the eastern Corn Belt and the eastern Midwest, you know, just looking all right, and they might have that record potential for crops. So, you know, we'll have a few things going on. We'll have a national number, but then we'll see maybe basis levels in the eastern part of the grain belt behave much differently than what the western part of the grain belt is going to be doing. So there's going to be a lot of twists and turns yet to come in this marketplace. And the biggest thing I want producers to be thinking of, uh, you know, since May, essentially corn and soybean prices have been trading back and forth, up and down in a sideways trading pattern. And we are holding on to key support levels for the long-term uptrends but we can't get through those old highs. So if you look at these longer-term charts, it's like a pennant flag formation, and the longer a market will trade sideways and consolidate, eventually the bigger the breakout is going to be down the road. So I'm expecting explosive price reaction depending on weather, you know, higher or lower depending on the weather over the next few weeks. So you've got to really manage the opportunities in front of you. Make sure you're thinking about downside price protection risk and also if this rain doesn't materialize and we have prices that go higher, be expecting dramatic price increases to the upside that you're going to want to be able to capture and be part of also in case you already priced uh, grain, you know, a few months back. So um, be thinking uh, multidimensional with your marketing. We're talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Yeah, being flexible. Of course, for some producers who are very hard hit, they they feel their options are pretty limited because they don't have as much crop to sell. For those that have a crop, uh, then as you said, they have an opportunity now, but maybe, maybe an even better one coming down the line. Yep, absolutely. So it's going to just be something to manage every day and watch every day. And all that volatility that we went through just a couple months ago, I think is going to come back for round two. And then, of course, with outside market influences, um, you know, be ready for some kind of a black swan that can make things fall apart. Or maybe we'll start to see giant Chinese demand increase, especially with some of the weather issues that they've been having in some of their provinces with the flooding. So um, just really be on your toes. There is just a lot to manage and monitor with the markets right now. With with stocks this tight and with production concerns, what kind of black swan event is possible that could be out there to offset that? That's a good question. And so I've been kind of thinking about that too. Like what would destroy demand? Because we, we already have dealt with like a COVID. So we know if there's a COVID 2.0, the, the market reaction probably wouldn't be quite as dramatic. So it may be, I'm not sure, but those are the things that are always just lurking in the back of my mind as far as what could make things fall apart. I don't know if it would be, um, global nations kind of a thing, um, but just uh, we've always those black swans come and they well that's what they're black swans for. Yeah. You just they come yeah. out of nowhere. Just never say never, right? I mean, if you think yeah. it can happen, it will. Uh, but as we look at this situation and let's look historically, Naomi, uh, we've had drought years and tough production years in the past, but so often we had higher stocks, so that kind of eased some of that um, reaction. But this is a different ball game when you have stocks this tight and perhaps production issues overall. We know definitely in some areas, but we'll wait and see overall. So how does this figure or compare historically, and what did we see in the past with situations like this? Okay, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because the funds are sleeping right now. They have been kind of you know, stepping out of the marketplace a little bit, just following the seasonal tendencies of the marketplace. And I don't think they understand 
these situations where it's not just the soybean ending stocks that are tight. It's soybeans, it's corn, it's spring wheat, it's the all wheat category, it's oats, and now it's canola. So there are multiple, multiple grains that are dealing with, um, you know, lowest ending stocks in a decade, and the funds have just kind of been going on to the sidelines. So if the if the USDA starts to print on paper tighter ending stocks, if the weather stays hot and dry in the northern plains, the funds, when they come back into this marketplace and are ready to participate, that in and of itself could bring that market price shooting way back higher and exceeding the old highs. Uh, so the mentality, you're right, has always been, well, it's fine, and somebody will start to say, well, the crop is better than I thought it was, but I don't know that that necessarily is the case this year. And, and again, we, we cannot even have the, that soybean average yield go below 50 bushels. That is the line in the sand, and it is definitely in question right now. And the other big difference, I mean, we always focus on how much can we sell, how much can we sell. Uh, well, very seldom do we deal with a scenario like maybe we have to ration what we sell. You know, that's another interesting perspective. You know, what if the United States has to go onto that side of the spectrum? And, and usually we just let market price naturally dictate, uh, you know, how much we are selling. But it would be interesting to see if there was actually a um, more direct order from the government that says, okay, we got to officially hone it back in and, and just be a little bit more cautious to make sure that we have enough supply available in the United States for just our needs, too. When when's the last time that happened? You know, that's a great question. I was just thinking, I don't know that it has happened because usually hmm. that's what a capitalistic society does. You know, you just let price dictate its own type of uh, um, price scenarios and, and price reactions. So that would be that would be a black swan, I would say, if there was an official government yeah. mandate to say, um, you know, hone it back in. And, uh, you know, with all the talk about green energy and there still continues to be talk about ethanol and renewable energies and things like that, where um, that might be something to really keep an eye on for sure. Uh, that would be tricky because that would, of course, free up supplies if we're reducing demand for those categories. So I would hope to gosh that that doesn't happen because uh, we definitely need to have our renewable energies for corn and soybeans uh, definitely stay strong for the demand category. Well, there's a research project for somebody, right? I mean, I can't remember it, and uh, it'll be interesting. Someone will come up with it, I guess, if and when that has happened. It, it would have to go back quite a ways. Mm-hmm. Yep, that would be a good project. Maybe I'll have to look into that myself. I'm Now I'm really curious and intrigued. <laughs> yeah, well, like you say, hopefully it won't happen, but, uh, wow, it's something to certainly think about. So right now you're saying stay flexible and be ready to take advantage of opportunities, right? If you've got something to sell. Yeah, if, if that's a huge point. If you have something to sell. You know, hey, one last thing is that when you still think about the old crop carryout, I still think that the supplies of old crop are still even tighter than what the USDA is letting on. Hmm. And that won't show up until the quarterly stocks report at the end of September. Um, but I still, I talk with producers and, you know, they have nothing left in their bins. And normally this time of year, they would have, you know, something or 10% or 20% of their crop yet to price a lot of folks. And this year it's totally different. So if the ending stocks are actually tighter than what the USDA is letting on for old crop, that of course affects carry in for new crop levels and makes the new crop even, even tighter yet. So that's something else to be monitoring too. There's a lot to be monitoring, that's for sure. And we're just now, uh, we're just wrapping up July. I'll look out for what August may bring. Naomi, thanks a lot. Uh, interesting conversation. We'll stay in touch with you on this. Thank you so much. Sounds great. Thank you. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Yeah, not saying it's going to happen, but that has to at least be considered. If you get stock so tight, if production is down enough this year, uh, do we have to really ration uh, our sales? Haven't talked about anything like that in a long time. Maybe hardly ever. All right, stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Brian Schuweiler, who heads up global grain trading and risk management for CHS. Brian, good to talk with you. We're hearing a lot these days about renewable diesel. Kind of give us the basics on how grain trading and renewable diesel are, are connected. Well, good morning, Mike, and thanks for having me. So renewable diesel is a biomass-based fuel, which can be made from plant-based material. Two of the more popular feedstocks in our sector um, are refined soybean oil, um, which is derived from soybeans, and corn oil, which is a product produced from corn. The cycle is connected through a supply chain that begins with farmers producing the soybeans and corn, and they sell those products to companies like CHS, who further process them into the corn oil and soybean oil, which the renewable diesel manufacturers purchase to make their renewable diesel. This current emphasis then on climate goals and fuels like uh, renewable diesel, what do you see this moving forward? What do you think this means for U.S. soybean growers? It's encouraging to see the growth around renewable fuels, and particularly renewable diesel, and what that means in terms of additional demand for our owners that grow soybeans. We're seeing significant investment and expansion by industry in the renewable diesel space, which would tell us that this is a longer term trend, not just something that's happening this year or next year. So we expect renewable diesel production and demand to continue to grow. What that means for soybean growers is more demand for their production, as well as support for better prices. All right, that's Brian Schuweiler, who heads up global grain trading and risk management for CHS. Thanks for joining us around the table Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. 
You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we continue to take a close look at uh, the fight uh, on uh, soybean cyst nematode. What's the latest developments there? What are we learning? And uh, what are the tools in the toolbox? Our guest today, Michigan State University plant pathologist, Dr. Martin Chilvers. Uh, Dr. Chilvers, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, What do we know about the connection between sudden death syndrome and soybean cyst nematode? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Um, So what we're finding in some of our work here is that unfortunately the soybean cyst nematode seems to promote soybean sudden death syndrome. So that, that root feeding... There's some sort of mechanism there that just allows SDS to, to be more severe where the soybean cyst nematode is present. So that uh, that relationship is there. So when uh, soybean farmers detect sudden death syndrome, what should they do? Check the roots for uh, SCN uh, females there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's important always to you know be aware of your soybean cyst nematode numbers anyway. Uh, irregardless of soybean sudden death syndrome. So, you know, you should routinely be taking soil samples to check the nematode numbers. But certainly if you see SDS popping up in your field, that's another trigger to, to make sure you really double down and, and check those soybean cyst nematode numbers. So you have two profit robbers uh, working in some cases in your fields, and you need to be aware of that to, to uh, deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a, a rapid test for soybean sudden death syndrome yet. That's something we're working on, a soil test. Uh, but there is good tests at the moment for soybean cyst nematode, so growers should really make use of that. Um, some other work that we've been doing too is, um, unfortunately, you know, that soybean sudden death syndrome pathogen, that can survive in the soil for many years. It's very happy colonizing corn residue and just hanging out, waiting for your next susceptible soybean crop. So just being aware of what fields you've had issues with SDS in the past is very, very important to staying on top of that. We have also seen that even resistant uh, soybean plants, resistant to soybean sudden death syndrome, they're still getting some of that root infection from the SDS fungus. So it's sort of like a hidden yield loss, a little bit like we talk about soybean cyst nematode having that same sort of effect. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's certainly important to, to keep an eye on, on both of those issues. With so much of the uh, Midwest, especially the Western Plains, let's say, uh, dealing with uh, the drought conditions this year, how, how does that carry over? Does history tell us, does your research show us that uh, the weather in one crop year impact uh, these pathogens moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so a, a lot of these pathogens, unfortunately, will just sit dormant and hang out and wait uh, for ideal conditions. Uh, we've certainly seen that pretty extensively here in Michigan. We've got a lot of Phytophthora root rot this year, much more than we normally have. And that's because we had flooded soil conditions at the end of June. Uh, so that's a good example. And, and those soybean cyst nematodes, they can sit dormant for many years before becoming a really big problem. So, yeah, obviously, you know, those drought areas out west, um, unfortunately, those pathogens and nematodes are going to sit and wait for, for better conditions at times. So so you'd like to think, well, maybe there's silver, a silver lining to flooding or, or drought and, and that it would wipe out <laughs> nematodes moving forward, but that's not the case. No, unfortunately it's not. Uh, and typically in drought years, uh, we see a little bit more damage from soybean cyst nematode than we do under conditions where we've got adequate soil moisture. Uh, you know, again, that, that root infection from those nematodes is going to make those plants struggle even more to get moisture. Which is, again, as a reminder that um, SCN is not going to go away by itself. It takes a lot of work and it's I guess it really starts with that false soil test, right? That's still the key? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Taking that soil test, uh, doing crop rotations when you can, uh, and certainly trying to rotate that soybean cyst nematode resistance source as well. There's there's primarily two different types, the PI88788, which is widely deployed, 
and then the peaking resistance source. So trying to rotate those two, two different resistance sources is another really good uh, management strategy. It seems like the more we learn, <laughs> the more we realize what a big problem this is. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, a lot of these things are very complex, right? There's not um, a silver bullet or it's not black and white. Uh, there is a lot of complexity to the systems, but um, that's, that's what we're uh, trying to do the research to, to um, identify more of those solutions. So do we, have, uh, do we ever have a handle on how bad a year it was for SCN until, until we've done those soil tests? And actually, no, I mean, the problem, if there's a problem there now, it's already there, right? That's right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you can do those soil tests to know what sort of issues you're going into um, the next spring. Uh, in, in terms of yield loss, it's really going to depend on the weather conditions. You know, those drier conditions, you might see more yield loss from those uh, due to soybean cyst nematode. Uh, but it really depends, too, on the variety that you're planting. Not all PI88788 resistance sources are equal either. There are differences. Um, so you want to look for any information from your, in your seed catalog or from your seed dealer about, you know, varieties for uh, nematodes with good nematode resistance. Yeah, so it's important to get that soil test done this fall and know what you're dealing with and so you can uh, try to address it. All right. Dr. Chilvers, thank you so much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right. Michigan State University plant pathologist, Dr. Martin Chilvers uh, talking about uh, that relationship between sudden death syndrome and soybean cyst nematode. Big challenges, profit robbers for soybean growers. Well, the challenges of 2021 continue. We'll keep you updated tomorrow. We'll continue to look at these weather conditions and how they are uh, impacting and bringing into question our crop production for this year and how markets are then reacting to those conditions as well. So much more on that coming up tomorrow. And are they going to get this uh, infrastructure package done or not? What's going to be in it? We'll keep a close watch on that as well. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you'll be back with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts.